Hello, and welcome to the Culture Force podcast. We're excited you're here. Now, we know that you're probably listening to this as you drive or work out or whatever you're doing or wherever you are, and you don't have the ability right now to write down every single thing you hear that our guests share, and some of it is world-changing. It's incredible. So we got your back. Kyle and I have created a free ebook that contains every single interview we've done, the highlights of those interviews. And so it's about 20 pages long. If you head over to cultureforce.team, T-E-A-M, and just put in your email address, we'll send you this ebook that has all the best bits of the podcast we've conducted this season. So head over there. Make sure you head over to iTunes and give us a like as well. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us whether you think Kyle did a better job or whether Chris did a better job. Uh, or if you think we just both did a good job, or maybe we both need work. But anyways, we love hearing from you. Head over there for that free ebook. It's a, a treasure trove of some of the best information that I've ever heard from some of these incredible people we've interviewed this season. So thanks for your time, and let's get on with the show. Ladies and gentlemen, could I please have your attention? It's the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because own. they are hard. Try to, try to, try to find my way home. Welcome back, Culture Force. In this episode, we sat down with Jeff Campbell, the former CEO of a little franchise, you may have heard of it, called Burger King. That's right. We talk about his dedication and rise to the position of CEO and the things he did to impact the franchise culture globally. And Jeff didn't just stop there. He was also the chairman of the Pillsbury Restaurant Group, the SVP for brand development at Pepsi, the CEO of Johnny Rockets, and much, much more. Please go ahead and check out his impressive resume in the episode notes. And in this episode, we really had a lot of fun chatting with him about many of his experiences and what all of us can learn to impact the cultures around us. So without further ado, please welcome Jeff Campbell. Jeff, uh, I would love to hear how you got involved with Burger King. Global CEO is a fancy title, um, but I would love to hear kind of uh, your process and, and not just, you know, how you got into the industry or, you know, you can, you can choose any of the uh, work you've experienced over your lifetime. It doesn't have to be there. It could be anywhere, but how did you set yourself up to win? Um, how did you put yourself in a place where you got to be elevated to be the man, the guy? Well, you know, it's, it is a, a story that's very clear in my mind and there was a lot less science to it than someone might think I I got out of the army in 1969 and went to work for a New York Madison Avenue advertising agency. And I had actually talked to one of the principals from the agency before I went into the army. And he, you know, he, he said, Hey, when you get out, get in touch. Uh, that's kind of what I wanted to do. My father uh, used to tell me, Hey, marketing's a good, a good business to be in a good part of business to be in. So I thought, you know, I'm going to do marketing starting in an agency might be kind of cool. Learn it from that side. So I went to work at uh, an agency then called Dancer Fitzgerald Sample on Madison Avenue in 1969, July 1st, and uh, was there for two years. Good news is I met my wife. Uh, we'll be married 50 years this November. Oh, congratulations. That's yeah. awesome. Wow. I hit the agency after two years in the army and, and I, I thought I had died and gone to heaven because there were all these women there. <laughs> it was, it was like being in the garden of Eden. But, uh, once I met my wife, all that stuff ended because I, uh, it's like getting hit in the head with a, with a hammer. Um, and it's obviously worked out. So, so, um, after almost two years in the agency working on the Hardee's restaurant business, which was fast food, I was trying to get off that. We were, we were pitching an airline account, Scandinavian Airlines, and I was the junior guy on the pitch team. And they told me, hey, if we get this account, you're the guy, you're the account executive for it, which was cool. Ellen and I had gotten married by then and we didn't get it. And within a couple of weeks, my dad who had moved to Miami. My parents moved to Miami. My father came down with a relapse of colon cancer. 
this is in the spring of 71. So I, I went down to see him and it became quickly apparent that, you know, he was terminal. He wasn't going to make it. <clears throat> and on a, I think a second trip down to see them, I went out for beers with his best friend from Eastern Airlines. And that guy said to me, hey, you know, Burger King's looking for an advertising manager. And, you know, we don't know how long your dad's going to last, but it'd be cool if you guys lived down here. And, you know, I don't know if that's interesting. And I said, you know, that is kind of interesting. So he set me up with an interview at Burger King. <laughs> went in there. And the, the guy that was director of advertising said, hey, we're looking for somebody with an MBA, ad agency experience, and fast food experience. And with only two years of work, I had all of that, right? So I said, that's your, I'm your boy. <laughs> so, wow. uh, and they sent me around for interviews in the office. And then they said, we want you to come back tomorrow. So I went home and saw Ellen at my parents and said, hey, these guys are going to offer me a job tomorrow. So go look for a place to live, right? Um, <laughs> which she did. So I came back the next day and I had the job and she had the apartment. <laughs> and uh, I went from then 71 to 77 in marketing. And a new CEO came in who was just one of the smartest guys I ever saw, uh, Don Smith. He came from McDonald's. He had been number two at McDonald's, came in as number one at Burger King. Killer guy, I mean, real, <laughs> real tough guy. And he gave me the chance to make the move from marketing to operations with the notion that he was going to decentralize the company and create 10 regional vice president jobs. And if I wanted one of those jobs, that was going to be the key. Give up your title. Go to work in a restaurant, no guarantees, 18-month training program. But if you come out the other end, you're going to get a region. So I went home to my wife. We had just had our son, Jason, who's now 44 years old. And I, I said, hey, I want, to, I want to give up my title and go to work in a restaurant. She goes, why? And I said, because uh, I think I can be president of this company someday. So her remark, we still make jokes about it, was her response was, okay, fine. <laughs> that yeah. quick, let's, let's go for small. it. Let me go operate. Let me yeah, go operate. Yeah, I love exactly. it. Yeah. She so, believed in you. So we went to, uh, after a while of, after some training, we went to the New York region, which was kind of the baddest, you know, region, baddest franchisees. And I was there for three years and then went back to headquarters as exec VP of marketing and then president Burger King USA, president worldwide ops, CEO. And the, the thing that was driving that over 17 years was not, uh, any scientific strategy on my part. It was just, you know, I'm, I'm a, I have a tendency to be a workaholic. I'm a quick study. And I was really enjoying what I did. Uh, and so I used to tell people I was the one-eyed man in the land of the blind, you know, and it seemed like I got promoted every 12 months. And, you know, I, I had one boss who knew how to motivate me. We'd, be, we'd go to lunch or something and he'd say, you know, I'm thinking about creating this new job. It's like twice of what you're doing. And I don't know if we have anybody in the company that could actually do this job. And I would be sitting there twitching, going, oh, me, I could do that. And I go, well, I don't know. Are you sure you want to try to take that? Yeah, yeah. You know, is that kind of put me in coach stuff? So uh, I'm sure I got used a couple of times. But, you know, that's, that's how I, I worked my way through the organization. I love yeah, it, Jeff. Uh, um, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no. Finish. Okay. Um, I love it, Jeff. And then Kyle, I'll remind you, we talked to uh, somebody on the podcast the other day, uh, Mark, uh, and he was an HR uh, specialist, chief HR, uh, CHRO kind of deal, chief human relations officer. And uh, he said one of the ways that he became so successful in his role is he got into the weeds. He would go visit the shops. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he would lug yeah. the, the, it was, a, it was, I think, a dog food. And he learned that they wouldn't switch out the dog food because it was heavy work. Yeah. And that if they weren't willing to kind of do that, well, how are they going to treat the animals and, and some yeah. of those other places? Um, but he said the best thing he ever do was so, sort of get in the weeds. And it sounds like you just said the same thing. Hey, I got promoted because I was willing to get down and dirty yeah. and, and into the weeds of things. Go back, at the store, back to the store level. And uh, lots of war stories about that. But also, after I became CEO... I'd pick a Saturday and go work a shift in one of the restaurants, preferably one where I, I had a, a previous relationship when I was coming up with the manager. 
because then she would tell me what was really going on in my company when I'd take a break with it, right? Uh, the other thing that would happen is we'd launch a promotion, you know, like double burgers or something. So I'd go work a shift on sandwiches when we were doing double burger promotion. And it was very eye-opening, right? So You were like the original undercover boss. Yeah, maybe <laughs> yeah. A, little, a little bit, a little bit. But, you know, one of the good things about doing that, you know, and I did it both once I was CEO, but before on the way there as part of just getting the job done, you know, it, it helps you retain an appropriate sense of humility. Because realize a lot of those people at those lower levels, they're really good. <laughs> yeah. And when you're there, you're leaning on them, right? So you don't want to forget that. I had an amazing opening guy at the store I ran in, in Miami on Sunset Drive, uh, a guy named Otto Ramirez. The guy was, uh, he was amazing. And I'm sure there's zero chance he's going to be listening. <laughs> but if he was, I would Never know. salute him. Here's to you, Otto. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I mean, we love these stories. Um, and, you know, one of the things Kyle and I like to do on this podcast is we're, we're passionate about culture. You know, uh, we have this, uh, this phrase that we talk about all the time. Leadership is overrated. Culture is the only game worth winning. And when you create a great culture, you actually um, possibly and intentionally inadvertently create great leaders. Yeah. Um, you've, you put a, a place in, in in the, in the organization and you created a place in the organization that just kind of helps these leaders thrive and it becomes easier to get these leaders um, versus the opposite. When you just pour into one person, it doesn't really impact the entire organization. Um, I'm a huge believer in that. And I think, you, you know, you set that up as part of one of your cultural goals is that promotion from within and full team engagement. And to me, that's the way you develop your future leaders is you engage them in, in what you're doing and the decisions you're making in the initiatives you're trying to shape. It's the best school for leadership I know of. And, you know, I think back to, I had a, a couple of bosses. Don Smith was one of them. Uh, another guy was a guy named Les Pizat. And they would create uh, opportunities for us, kind of guys that were in the middle that were based, perceived as promising to, to kind of imitate a lot of the stuff senior management was doing. They even set up kind of a senior management committee with training wheels where we did the same, we had the same agenda every week that they did and our decisions didn't have the force of, of law, but we'd make cover the same material. A lot of it was new store, you know, approvals and stuff like that. Um, but it was brilliant. And it was the first time I was on a cross-functional team with a group of peers from the other departments. And, you know, I just, that's when I said to myself, this was probably about 1976. And I said to myself, boy, I want to run the whole thing. This whole thing is really interesting. You know, I had been coming at it from a marketing one department mm -hmm. focus. Huh. That's so, interesting, Jeff. Yeah. Um, when you, when you were doing that, I'd like to tug on that a little bit. When you were in that, in that mindset, you're thinking, Hey, I want to eventually run this. What was kind of going through your brain um, in terms of exactly what you just said? You said that they were they were uh, actually developing a lot of the uh, the marketing aspects, but internal store marketing, right? Yeah. I'm assuming there were some pretty cool uh, stories along the way as you would get <laughs> as you would get to roll these out the internal marketing, right? Yeah, got to be some cool stories. Yeah, there, well, huh? I'll, I'll I'll do one. I want to come back to that that little committee with training wheels I was talking about, because there's a funny story connected to that too. A great learning, <laughs> great lesson. Uh, but in the marketing, they were, an interesting thing, uh, I was just working on a, on a little piece for my book, talking about um, how inside corporate cultures, any organization really, I'm sure it was the same with the SEALs, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about as I start to describe it. You know, you have line and staff and you have headquarters and field, right? And those right. are different cultures. And if you, like I did, just because of my career path, switch from headquarters to field or staff to line, it's amazing how quickly the other guys are stupid. It takes about 24 hours. 24 right? hours. <laughs> and then I like, I I like that time. I like yeah. the time. He's right. giving it the time, Chris. Back, He's giving it 20. Gee, it happened again. The other guys are stupider than I realized. Um, <laughs> then so, it's only six hours. Right, right. So it's, it's, it's kind of funny. 
And, and just before I left marketing to go to operations to work at the store level, we had come up with this kids premium promotion thing. We had a kids campaign and an adult campaign. And we had come up with one of the premiums we came up with was some kind of noise-making device. So flash forward two weeks later, I'm no longer in marketing. I'm assistant manager in a store on, Suns on Sunset Drive. And every kid in the store is blowing his gun. <laughs> yes. And I'm sitting there saying, who can I blame for this? Oh, me. <laughs> I did this to myself. Oh, that's, that's great. That's one. Like those little clap, you know, the little clapper oh, things? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Guaranteed to drive you insane. Right? <laughs> that's great. <laughs> great idea, guys. Oh, I love it. Um, another one, though, on the... Uh, on that committee where we were kind of the middle managers from all the different departments that were considered upwardly mobile enough to get on this committee. One of my buddies on that committee was my peer from real estate. And we were out having a couple of beers one night and we started talking about the way we allocated new restaurants by market every year. You know, we'd be opening 150 or more stores. Where were they going to go? Why would this company owned store go here? Why would this franchisee owned store go there? So we're having beers and we're going, you know, the way we do this is really stupid. You know, we're missing a lot of opportunities. So this is 1976. So we came up with this model algorithm, really. We wouldn't know what the word meant, right? On how to allocate new store capital by market. And we came up with a decision tree on how you would do that based on cost of construction and cost of real estate and what other stores were doing in the same market in terms of revenue and how many competitors were there and what it cost to market yourself. And then hey, we went to the- Jeff, real quick, when you guys were doing that, where were you guys doing this? And how long did that actually headquarters, take? Headquarters in Miami. Okay. Across from the Daysland Shopping Center. Oh, I know that. I know <laughs> yeah, that one. I know exactly where that is. Building, Seven-story building with hooded windows, right? To keep the sun out. Yes, I know it was, exactly it post you. Oh, man, that's funny. So we're in there, and we say, you know, we need, this is Stone Age computer time, right? 1976. So we go to this guy from IT, and he says, hey, there's this software package called Foresight that can run the program you guys are talking about. So we said, all right, you're in. Let's, let's do this. And, of course, we got a printout about a foot high right, from this thing, but it worked. So we realized we had a model that would generate better returns on capital by using our algorithm. So we showed it to the incoming CEO and he thought it was hot stuff. He thought it was great. That was a guy less possessed. So he says, I want you to present this to the senior management team, you two guys. So we said, oh, great. So us, we're two idiots, right? We do not think at all about who we're presenting to and what we're in effect saying to them. We just have this great idea. So we basically make this pitch about our brilliant new system for doing what they do incorrectly, right? And these guys are looking at us like they want to hang us. They want to take us out and hang us in the parking lot as soon as we're done. And we're wondering, what's the matter with these guys? You know, why aren't they applauding? <laughs> yeah. This is brilliant. I'm, I'm, I'm dying to know too. Yeah, but we, we wound up following our strategy, but you know, I don't think we made a whole lot of friends that day. Why didn't they like it? Because we were saying, basically, you guys are stupid. You know, we didn't realize, <laughs> you know, we were saying, hey, you know, everything you're doing, it's really stupid. <laughs> yeah, remember that 24-hour yeah. thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and because you guys are stupid, it's costing the company a lot of money, right? So they go, oh, and you two yeah, yeah. Bucks are going to clear this up for us, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, let me show you how. <laughs> You know, it's funny you say that. Um, I had a similar experience when I was at Ramsey. Uh, I got, uh, I was started off as, as a marketing and uh, at the Dave Ramsey organization. And then I became the VP of events. They put me over all of the events everywhere. And so when I became the VP, I was like, hey, how do we exactly pick the cities we're going to go to? You know, these are expensive. We're doing like Reunion Arena and Kemper mm -hmm. Reunion Arena. When the, you know, these big places, I don't know that those two are even around now. And um and I was like, how are we doing it? And it was like, well, we just kind of see how many people call in to the radio show from those markets. <laughs> and I was like, oh, uh, and how do you decide? Like, you obviously then you must get thousands of calls from those markets then and you just pick one or two. And then, no, 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 we take the best calls that come in. Uh, and I was like, well, how about we put together an algorithm? You know, let's, yeah. let's take our radio affiliate rankings, our traffic to the website, our, you know, and yeah. put it together. And, and they were like, hey, this is genius. Why haven't we done it before? 
<laughs> but like for me, I was highly motivated because I was paid on the bottom line of the success of these events. And I was like, yeah. I don't want to go to that city. We're not going to yeah. make a dime. Yeah. This one over I, here. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, you know, the, our past are littered with these, <laughs> with these stories. Uh, it's funny when you think back on them. Uh, a lot of times I think back on stuff I did and wonder where I got the, you know, where'd you get the balls to do that? <laughs> so I'm going to guess this, the story. I mean, you've got the ultimate scoreboard here. Yeah, they, these guys thought you were punks and, you know, they're looking up now and you're the new president and CEO of the entire thing. Um, but from that day, they were mad and they thought you were stupid. Yeah. But, but that's what that was what you guys ended up doing. Yeah, well, this was going to, you know, we did, we could have handled it better. You know, mm -hmm. Howard and I could have handled it better. Uh, he went on to be super successful elsewhere. Uh, but we were right, right? And that was part, to me, the benefit of being on that committee was now I wasn't just a marketing guy. I was dipping my toe in real estate and our development strategy, right? And then, you know, you keep looking for other things to get engaged with. So when I got the chance to move in operations, I was all in, right? I mean, right away. Yeah. Guy Don Smith said, hey, you know, if there's somebody, we're going to have these 10 region. He did this in an officer's meeting. And it was the first I heard of it. And I'm sitting in the back because I just made VP of marketing. And he says, hey, we're going to create these 10 regions. And those jobs are going to go to, uh, they're going to go to the ops guys. But unless, if there's someone with a good nose for the business, like a Jeff Campbell, and my ears perk up. I'm way in the back. I mean, like I mean, Jeff Campbell, I mean, and you're interested in taking a risk and, you know, 18 months of training for this job, you know, we'd, we'd be open to putting you on a training program. So he no sooner got back to his office than I was there. And I said, who do I have to kill to get that shot that you just talked about in the officer's meeting? He goes, all right, he's really gruff. All right, here's the deal. You give up your title, you go to work in a restaurant, 18 months, no guarantees. If it doesn't work out, we'll see what happens. If it does work out, you get a reason. So I'm, Huh. That's when I went and had that conversation with my wife. Hey uh, Jeff, so so in that moment in time, what 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 else is going through your mind? Like, what are you getting excited about having the ability to impact uh, ten years down the road? You know, yeah, in this moment, what I, are you thinking? I could see that this gave me the opportunity to go to be running the company someday, and if I could do that, I could run other companies someday, right? But there was no question in my mind that that was a yes. No question. You know, you're in those times in your life. I bet you felt this way when you were a SEAL. I was talking to somebody about when I was in the Army the other day and said, you know, in those years, I knew I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing in exactly the right place, right? I'm supposed to be where I am doing what I'm doing. Right? Absolute certainty. Yeah. Right. And this was that, oh, this is absolutely what I should be doing. So there's no decision anxiety about it. Right. Later, yeah, did I have moments where I doubted myself or things were going badly or somebody was trying to kill me? Of course, I was in a corporate job. But, sure. you know, that comes with the territory. Right. But the decision back. of does this what I want to do? Oh, there's no question. What What was the what was the the big thing that you wanted to actually impact though, once you had achieved it and in know, that moment in time, not down I, the road, like in that moment, that, you're like when I get there, I'm going to be yeah. able to do this. Because you, you, I think as you spend time in an organization, this certainly grew as I moved from stepping into training, which wound up being much shorter than, than advertised. It was like 10 months instead of 18 and into the region where I figured I'm going to, I'm going to, do a great job with this region. I'm going to impact this region and I can work with franchisees. You know, I can deal yeah. with these guys, which is not the easiest job in the world. No. And then once I was a region guy, Hey, I know what the company should be doing. We're not doing it. Right. So I was champing at the bit to get president of Burger King USA. We had a parent company, which was Pillsbury. <laughs> this is where I go back to how brash I was at the time I was in my thirties and I'm sitting next to the vice chairman of Pillsbury at some Pillsbury social event up in Minneapolis. And he turns to me and he goes, Jeff, do you think you can run Burger King? And I said, piece of cake, Wayne. And he just cracked up. <laughs> he started <laughs> laughing. He goes, well, I'm glad you're confident, you know? Yeah. yeah. But it was, that's, you know, and maybe one of the next conversations we had was at a franchise meeting and we met for a drink after, after hours. And he said, do you want to run it? Said, yes, sir. It's Put so good. Coach. 
That's so good, Chris. You know, like when I know in terms of my career, when you're running a, a small department in the in the SEAL teams or any community or or company for that matter, when you're at the the lower level, you're like, hey, I don't think our inventory should be ran this way in the sniper, you know, yeah. <laughs> the sniper cell or the the breacher cell, the explosive ordnance disposal cell, whatever it might be, or the intelligence. And then you get to that next level and you're like, you know, I don't think the chief should really be running yeah. uh, the platoon this way. Yeah. And then you yeah. get to that chief level yeah. and you're like, you know, I don't think the teams should be running training this way. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and so on and, and so know, forth. One of the things I read about leadership that came from actually the German general staff in the 19th century, but it's true. And what you just described and what my thought process was is if you're going to be a leader in your organization, you're constantly rotating that stuff through your head, whatever is line of sight to you. So you're thinking about, hey, this is really good what we're doing, or we could do this better. And it looks like this. And if I get a chance, I'm going to find out if that isn't a better way to do it. To me, that's the way a leader's mind works. German general staff in the 19th century came to a point where they realized that the nature of modern warfare would destroy their traditional mode of communication from the top down. And therefore, they had to develop junior leaders who could think for themselves and operate in the absence of communications from senior, senior command. And so they started to build their training around that and mistakes were good. They wanted junior officers always to be revolving the situation, the tactical situation in their head, right? Constantly thinking about, you know, we, we could do this better. We're going to do this better. If I get a chance, I'm going to do this, you know, and then they would go with commander's intent and figure out, okay, things will fall apart under combat conditions. But if you have commander's intent and you've been taught to think independently, you're going to probably do okay. And we won't second guess you, right? We want, we want to develop your sense of confidence and your ability to decide. I love it. You know, I just read or finished reading the book, Citizen Soldiers. Uh-huh. And, and the premise was the reason that we, we won on D-Day, if you will, one of the reasons, um, was that our guys were taught to make decisions on the ground and they were given the freedom to amend the plans so that they would, could go on and win versus the Germans who maybe had been taught that, but the political guys, uh, you know, up in uh, back in Berlin did not give them the authority to make decisions. So like the Panzer tanks are still hanging out there because the guy's asleep or he went to visit his wife and nobody has the authority to call him in. Right. So it was just, you know, and I feel like sometimes in business, we, you know, if we get out of the way of some of the people that work for us um, and give them the authority to make amends, you know, sometimes with my team, I'm like, hey, if you're overwhelmed, here's the way I want you to do decisions. Yeah. What's going to make the greatest impact or create the highest revenue return and the least amount of time? If you ever come to me and, and I say, why didn't you do this? And you say, well, I looked at the list and this is why I made the decision. How am I ever going to argue with that, argue, like that, that case? Well, I, I looked at the list and I thought this would be the greatest return uh, for my effort in the quickest amount of time. Who's going to argue with that decision right. making? Right. But we don't do that. So many leaders, they just kind of don't make a decision without me. We, we, we spend so much time trying to hire this great talent. Right. We want an MBA. We want all and this we experience. Want to control it. And then once they're here, we don't want to give them any freedom to right. what we hired them right. for. Yeah. I'm convinced. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of thinking about this and, and some writing. Uh, and I think fear of loss of control is the big negative motivator there inside organizations. But there's such freedom on the other side, right? Um, and I, I was looking at a uh, Northrop Grumman PowerPoint uh, that I found online because it was covering a, a subject that I was doing some research on. And I found a killer line in there in the Grumman PowerPoint deck that said the opposite of control is discovery. And I thought that's a great line because you can do so much more with an empowered, engaged team. You, you want to always recruit the best people and you want to, you know, coach them effectively. But, you know, back to cultural values, if you have a culture of full engagement, you're going to get so much further down the road, so much faster. Well, they feel so, that you controlling know. top-down hierarchical thing mm. that should be, you know, it's, it's, it's obsolete and it's dying, but it's probably not dying quick enough. 
Yeah, I and I, you know, taking it, there's that loss of control or that fear of loss of control right. or the fear of uh, someone shine outshining them. And yeah. I, I call this my the Chris Mefford uh, leadership paradox. Uh, and I discovered this, uh, you know, just as as I was looking around, going, "What what am I doing here that's different?" And I realized if I gave all the um, accolades to my team, I didn't do anything. Jeff did it. Kyle did it. These guys are amazing. They did it all. All I have to do is show up and turn on the lights. It's amazing. You know, it would all come back to me. The yep. more I gave away, yep. the more it came back. But so <laughs> many people do the opposite. I did it all. If it wasn't for right. me, Jeff would never have been able to yeah. do this. Yeah. And it, it's counterproductive because it doesn't it affirm the team. They don't want to work hard. Um, it and it conf- it's so confusing because it seems so so simple to solve yeah. these problems. Seems simple and obvious. The only thing between us and that is fear. Yeah. That's right. Hey, I want so to go I, back. It covers a lot of ground. <laughs> real quick, Kyle. I want to go back to one of the things you said. I, I took a note because I just want to make sure that uh, we dive in it a little bit. Um, you know, you said when you made that presentation, um, you guys were a little stupid and immature in yeah. how you presented it. Yep. And I think it, that's a good point to sort of segue over to Kyle's discussion here, which is culture and teams. And so the way I see that is, had you sort of sat with each one individually and said, here's what we're thinking, mm-hmm. um, and then said, hey, we're going to present this. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, absolutely. We present. Absolutely. And, and so I guess my premise here is when you bring a team around something, yeah. you can create and impact a culture from the sort of inside out, if yeah. you will. But when you individually and selfishly kind of do it, you never quite get the response you want. It only creates right. more political infighting within the organization, yeah. and it's detrimental to a culture within an perfect, organization. A perfect point. Uh, the Japanese have a term that covers this called nemawashi, which literally means digging around the roots. It relates to transplanting a shrub and doing it carefully and properly. But in a Japanese company, you never spring stuff like that on senior management without preparing the ground. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of preparation. Right, so I talked to my master. So you, real quick, you and Howard did not understand nope. Namawashi back nope, in the we, we were, we were uh, raw youths. youths. Yeah. <laughs> we were not too sophisticated. But exactly right. That's what we should have done. And our, the guy that asked us to do the project could have probably given us some useful advice at that point. But yes, if I was doing that today... And we tell our master's students they have to do, a, instead of a thesis, they do a capstone project, which is some kind of change initiative in their company. And when they come back to graduate, we say, hey, if you were doing your capstone over again, knowing what you know now, what would you do different? Oh, I would have spent more time preparing the ground. You know, I'd say two-thirds of them say that. So, yeah, we, would have, we could have done that. We would have generated champions in that group because at least half of them probably thought we were doing doing it the wrong way or had concerns about it. Um, and they could have helped, you know, we could have hit a home run instead of a single and get, you know, and then uh, get thrown out trying to stretch it into a double. You know, Chris, I wasn't really going to go down this rabbit hole today, but I'm glad we got, we got to what I'm about to ask is, you know, Jeff, you talked about how leaders have that fear of losing control. And it's so apparent. We see it so many times, but that fear doesn't exist that, that much, I would say in the military, because guys know that they're going to get replaced in, you know, two to three, maybe four years at the most. Um, but what is, what is something as you were, as you were going back to some of the franchise locations, right? Yeah. What is something that you would use or even a good story that you would use to help kind of encourage uh, a culture that was not, that did not encourage, you know, that fear of losing control with the leaders? Well, I had a super formative experience. I got promoted to Burger, president of Burger King USA, 1982. And um, the company was not performing particularly well. Uh, I had I, the job I had just before that was exec VP of marketing, and I was working on this really aggressive ad campaign called the Battle of the Burgers. But it was going to be months before it was ready to go. Mm. And I knew we needed to get the ship turned around in terms of the strategy we were pursuing. So. Uh, what I did instead of going out 
and meeting with all the franchisees in the 10 regions and telling them what we're going to do, I started a series of meetings with them in their own regions where I would use kind of a Socratic method. So I'd get in a ballroom with all the franchisees from the region in there and I'd have the easel paper and the marker. And I'd go, how are we doing, guys? And then they would kill me for 20 minutes. You know, just beat the shit out of me. No holds bar. Right. Let and it loose. I realized after the first meeting, I got to give them their 20 minutes because <laughs> they're so frustrated. Right? And then poof, they go 20 minutes. I go, okay, we're ready to get serious now. Yeah, yeah, we're ready. Okay. So let's, now I've got the marker, so I'll write this stuff down. What are our biggest problems? And then poof, let's start. And then they'd reinforce each other. And then when I thought, you know, we'd kind of exhausted what are the problems, I'd have it on, on the wall. Say, okay, take a second, look at this. Are we missing anything, right? Right. And they say, okay, now for the next hour, we're going to talk about, given these are the big problems, what's the shape of a solution look like? And then we put that stuff up on the wall. And when we had closure on that, that day, I'd say, okay, we're going to be back in 30 days. And we're going to take what you've told us here today, and we're going to start shaping it into a strategy. We'll bring it back and show it to you for feedback. And they said, oh, awesome, right? So what happened was, uh, if you asked me back in 1982, what was the benefit of doing that? I'd say, boy, when we got ready to go, we got a, we got 100% execution because they owned it. Right. But the other thing I'd say today, having had another 40 years of experience is we'll get better ideas too because yep. that group together is smarter than me and my senior team are. So if That's we're open to it, and this goes to loss of control, yeah. And I went into those open meetings saying to myself, you know, I've been in the system for 10 years, 11 years. I think I know what they're going to say. I probably know 80% of what they're going to say. And I'm willing to risk it on the other 20% because it, it's probably good stuff I don't know as opposed to crazy stuff, right? So I'm just yeah. going to have to be willing to risk the 20% to get the benefit of using this approach because it's not control. It's engagement, right? So that was a huge formative experience for me with a large group of people who don't have to fight. <laughs> Franchisees don't have to do it to tell them. You know, I mean, they sure. take pride in doing the reverse. Um, they got minds of their own. That's why it's, it was also great training to work with a thousand of those guys, right? Yeah. And in those days, it was mostly guys. Uh, but that's what got me on the, the learning path, which was not quick of, hey, asshole, you know, you're not smart enough to operate without taking advantage of all these brains that you're working with. So you got to figure out a way to get them in the game. And if you're willing to do that, the benefits are going to outweigh the risks. Yeah. Big time. You, you know, know, it's I, so you know, great. It was never really craziness that came out of it. It really wasn't. Everybody was responsible because the door was open. Right. Mm. You're engaged. So, so that was that was a, you know, a, a big piece of my education. Yeah, and you know what's so great about that, Chris? I love when you know he said the big thing he said. Right? What did he do? Thirty days later, we're going to come back. It's not a one-time, one-shot, right. one-kill thing. It was it was consistency. Hey, bringing everyone back. Okay, now this is what we've taken everything we've heard you. You've taken everything you said 30 days later. And then how many, I'm assuming you probably didn't do that once. I'm now assuming we probably, you, probably did three or four circuits. We slowed the frequency down after the first two or three. Sure. Um, then it became just a regular way we did business. Boom. So the senior team would travel the country every six months, maybe. Fun thing was we would play softball against the region because <laughs> oh, they, right. they would just kill to beat us, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the end of a tour, you know, we would be walking wounded and we'd go to the last meeting of the tour, you know, and we could barely get into our seat or out of it. And did you lose on purpose, Jeff? No, we didn't. <laughs> yeah, they, you got to play to win those games. <laughs> we, <laughs> we lost hey, I by, ac Good, we lost I love by it. accident. <laughs> Good. Uh, hey, it. two two things there, observations. One uh, for Kyle, uh, for the listeners and for Jeff. Uh, when Kyle says one shot, one kill, that's just not a cute phrase like you and I might use. That's uh, That was a former way of life for him. So um, be careful. Uh, but what you're sharing here, Jeff, 
I think people think uh, someone at your level, like we think of the Fortune 500 companies, the Amazons, the Starbucks, the Burger Kings, if you will. Um, and we think, man, that stuff's complex. Those guys are running at a different level. And you're like, hey, I got 20 of our franchise owners in a room and we got a white pad out and I asked them just to bitch at me for 20 minutes. Like, it's not complex. Yeah, well, the big stuff isn't. You know, the devil's in the details, of, of course, all the time. And some stuff over the years gets complex and technical. So, um, but you don't need to be a, a, a construction expert to develop a smart development strategy. Right, right. You want and to I, surround yourself with construction experts as you, as it starts to take shape. Hey guys, what's the smart way to, and a great question is always, hey guys, the guys that you know know the technical stuff. What's the smart way to do this? Exactly. Now, if we're trying to get X, What's the smart way to do it? You know, and then poof, all that stuff starts coming out. That's exciting. Yeah, and I don't mean to say that the business itself is a complex, you know, real estate deals and how much you should spend in this market versus that. That's obviously tough stuff. That's why you have the experts. But I think that what's not hard is, you know, what we address here, which is the culture, how you create an, an environment that allows those right. complexities to sort of thrive with those who do best and sort of you get out of their way and figure out how you can um, encourage them and empower them and engage with them. I just finished reading a book, which I highly recommend. It's, it's my era, not yours, but it's called Why Vietnam Matters. It's 12 years old. It was written by a guy named Rufus Phillips. Rufus Phillips uh, went out to Vietnam in 1954 as a 24-year-old. He had been in the Army uh, and went to work for one of the agencies uh, connected, you know, like State Department, but wasn't state, work in rural development out in the Mekong Delta with, with villagers, right? So he was there at 54, 55, and then he came back in 61, 2, and 3 when things were really starting to come apart. And it's just his whole story and what he was observing. And so much of this, I finished the book, and I've got my outline for my book now, and I said, I have these eight things that I said are the ways we screw up, right? In terms of the way we think or do things. Every one of them's covered in that book. I, I sat there and thought about it. I said, Rufus Phillips, yeah, that's what he was saying. Every single one of these things is in there. And it's all about culture and the way you operate and the way you think. Right. You know, if you can't change your mental models or, you know, talk to people who you know no more than you do about a problem, because you're too proud or you're too afraid of losing control or you're too afraid of losing your dignity because you're in such an august position, right? I mean, they could have told you, these guys from rural development who'd been there for a while, they could tell you, hey, you want some South Vietnamese generals that really know what they're doing? I'll tell you their names, right? No, 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 you know. <laughs> so, hey, you want to know our guys that really know what they're doing? You want to know some guys out in the field who are really awesome? At, at making progress with the Vietnamese because I understand the culture, you should excuse the expression, and they know how to communicate with them. I can tell you who they are. If you want to put a team together, I can help you put a team together. We can transform the way we're doing this. Nope, no, nope, no, you guys are, you guys are junior. <laughs> you guys are junior. You're too close to the Vietnamese. Really? Yeah. I mean, they say stuff like that. Yeah. Kyle, does that resonate with yeah, Afghanistan? It does. It does. Jeff, uh, back in 2010, I was tasked with uh, a, uh, executing an unconventional warfare uh, campaign in southern Afghanistan. Uh -huh. And so I was there for a majority of um, some of 11, 2011 and, and majority of 2012. And our job during that time was to uh, work through the local population. We were in the middle of Helm, and uh, the closest coalition forces was, I think, 20 kilometers away, 22 kilometers away, give or take. And uh, so we were out alone and unafraid, and yeah. uh, it was us and the guys that we had with us on our camp in the middle of a village, yep. Malazai. And, you know, exactly to your point, we were working with by, through, and with the local population on any given day. Well, yeah. on, excuse me, every day, every second. And, and what was different about that, what's different about unconventional warfare is that, you know, you're not on a forward operating base. You don't have, uh, you, you can sleep, but I mean, the whole camp can't sleep because yeah. you're, you're in charge of your environment. So, but we had to do our best. And you know what we did? 
to really gain, uh, you know, not just notoriety, but trust with the local population is we worked with uh, the Civil Corps of Engineers from the Army to help Uh us build a well. Uh We built a freaking well. That well produced, I think it was three, it was like 300 GPM. I can't remember. It was pretty, pretty powerful, pretty good, deep. I think we had to go like 500 feet into the ground for that thing. But my point is once that was done for, uh, for them to have a well in that, in that region was pretty powerful, pretty powerful. And and for us to be able to go, Hey, it's yours. We're not taking it with us. You're going to get to keep it. You got to read this book because it's going to be, it's what's going to upset you because you're going to see everything you did (laughs) that was right. Being done wrong and And everything we did is wrong. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jeff, I'm going to switch gears and ask you a question. Um, well, it's not a complete switch gears, but um, what do you think was the most impactful thing you did to impact the culture at Burger King or Pillsbury or any of the places you were at? Johnny Rockets? Uh, I, yeah, actually, I, Jeff, any company, honestly. Yeah, I, I can tell you the things I've done that have made positive impacts, but I don't claim victory on any of the companies. That I that I worked in because Burger King, Pillsbury, those were really deep rooted cultures, and I did not change it. I I modeled behavior that had positive impacts, uh, but I wouldn't claim to have changed that culture at at all. Uh, and it was a pretty vicious culture. Then I went from there to Pepsi, which was you know like a Shark Tank. Um, so I don't claim any victory. I can say that the best things I did to impact culture were the stuff we're talking about, engaging people in things, looking in and in, in giving projects or problems to junior people who looked like they had some upside potential and throwing them something to work on and watching them blossom. Um, and a lot of those folks went on to be very successful. Um, and also, you know, managing the old expression used to be managing by walking around instead of sitting in your office, get out. We were talking about it before, go to the restaurant, work a shift, sit down, have a conversation with the manager, walk around the finance department and talk to the clerks and have them explain to you what they do. You know, try to make the connection between what they do and how we're, you know, what the end result is, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I had I had some some wins in the cultural wars, but um, yeah, no, uh, I won battles. <laughs> how about what's the what's the thing you're most proudest of? The Your time there of, of of the whole career. Whole career. Okay. I'm, I'm I'm really exposing myself here, but you're talking to a guy who's 76 years old, right? So the thing that I'm most proud of, and I had this conversation with my wife no, no more than two days ago, oh. I never kissed anybody's ass. <laughs> I love and it. A, and there's a bunch of times it cost me a lot, but I look in the shaving mirror in the morning and I like that guy. <laughs> he looks a little, he looks a little long in the tooth, but I, I recognize him. Um, I like that. You know, oh, wow. I like that because I think essentially you could define your success as a result of that. Um, you spoke truth to leadership. Uh, well, no success, ever... I've had failures from it too. Yeah. I mean, you and know, I, where, and I, where I've reflected on that part of my life and gone, well, what did I expect? <laughs> you know? uh, well, I, I just feel like, you know, the best way to achieve uh, what you've been called to do is just to be who you are. You know, some people read books and they try and constantly emulate. And I feel like I just want to absorb that deeply impact me with it. And then how would Chris Mefford use this? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be Jeff Bezos. I don't want to be Kyle Bucket. You know, I want to be Chris Mefford with this new information and, and meaning that, you know, I, I, I could never, I love Steve Jobs and what he brought to the world, but I could never be that kind of asshole right. leader. Right. Um, that's just right. not who I am. And he was. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I can't emulate that. And I think so too, uh, you've got to take the good with the bad. Look, I won't be the, the a-hole who's going to yell at you constantly. And that's probably going to cause me problems because sometimes people are going to take advantage of my generosity um, yep. And, yep. and the way I treat them. Uh, but also, I think more people are going to come out on the better side of that because that's who I am. 
And, right. uh, you know, you say you never kissed ass. I'm going to say, you know, you just spoke truth. You just were Jeff Campbell, who Jeff Campbell I have, was. I have a friend who I love dearly. He's a retired lieutenant colonel. And uh, one of the reasons, and he shall go nameless, but one of the reasons that he didn't get a star was because he would tell truth to power. <laughs> I mean, he'd, sir, this is fucked up. I'm going to explain why. <laughs> and he would tell me the story. And I go, holy shit, <laughs> you, you got some serious stuff, man. Oh, man. man. But, you know, it's, it's not going to get you to the head of the promotion line. Hey, Jeff, this, uh, this is great. We're going to wrap up here. We do a, a lightning round to, to close out everything. And so you already said that uh, one of the recent books you read was uh, Why Vietnam Matters. Do you have anything else that you're reading right now? Uh, God, I'm reading. I just started a book on the East, history of the East India Company because I don't know anything about it. But I, after about 20 pages, I'm, my mind's already blown. This is a corporation that had 200,000 troops. Now, that's a serious, <laughs> that's a serious competitor. <laughs> For real. I remember learning about them in high school or junior high yeah. school. I mean, they've been around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so that's going to be interesting. Well, that's good. Sounds good. Uh, what's your communication? What's the fa- your favorite book or two uh, that you've ever read? My favorite book. My, my favorite business books. One is uh, The Fifth Discipline, which is 30 years old now, which I've read twice. Good to Great, we have our students read. I've read that twice. It's time to read it again. Um, a book that I hated when I was in school that I read in my 60s and thought was the greatest thing I ever read was Moby Dick. Um, so after, you know, after we're done, I'll think of five others. But no, you know, I like that because typically we ask that question, they give us the business books. And uh, I used to read business books. I would just, you know, just digest them constantly. And I found that I became pretty, it came intense. It was too intense. And so I started, I had this thing that I started doing for every business book I read, I made myself read a non or read a fiction book. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so throwing a classic in like Moby Dick or the old man in the sea. I love that because it just kind of helps you come more well-rounded. You don't just sharpen one edge. It's sort of just yeah. sharpen both. Edges. Every, every now and then I have to give up on a book, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's just too hard. Yep. Uh, which really bugs me. But a book I bought for July is the collected short stories and novellas of Henry James. Now that's going to be tough. <laughs> that's going to be hard. Kyle's read that on my one. list for July. I'm going to try to muscle my way through that. Kyle, what did you think of it? <laughs> I um, can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, uh, Jeff, any personal rituals you do? Um, you know, I can't work out in the afternoons or evening. If I don't do it in the morning, I don't do it. Yeah, I'm there. Same thing. I am an early riser. Uh, constitutionally, I do my best thinking from four or five in the morning till nine and get a day's worth of work done in that period of time. My wife is uh, somewhat of a late riser. So it's great for me. I don't, you know, I'm not missing out on anything. Um, I have to do my exercise in the morning. It's got to get done then or I'll find an excuse not to do it later. That way I can save later for happy hour. <laughs> That's right. I love it. Um, I'm, I'm with you. It's funny, Kyle, you know, just about everybody we ask on here, they get up early. Everybody, um, something about all these great leaders getting up early. Sure. If you're listening, um, any uh, any goals for the summer? I have. I'll tell you. I'll share something with you. I turned 76 at the end of May, and I have. You look a, great, by the way, for 76. Thank, thank God you. bless you. <laughs> Not to myself, but thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have a four year plan. My my year 80 plan. So I'm already oh, yes. working on it. Uh, I'm I'm a fanatical about what's what's the to do list. You know what's the plan? What are you trying to accomplish? I find it super motivating. So I have my my four year plan from now till eighty, and uh, you know I check it a couple of times a week. Good. Keeps keeps the motor running. I love it. You're seventy six. You're two years away from running for president. You're yeah, trying to get a book right. out. You know I just yeah. wish you tried harder, Jeff. That's yeah, come on, wish. Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, uh, do you want to give a personal shout out to anything, any charities you work with, any organizations that you love? That you well, I, yeah, I, I belong to a group called Chairman's Roundtable here in town. And that's a group of 35, 40 current or former CEOs that mentor San Diego County CEOs as a way of giving back. So it's free of charge. So I've been doing that for 15 years. Super rewarding. Uh, working with a great guy right now. He's got a super high volume pizza restaurant in La Jolla. And it's just been a 
delightful experience. And he's doing great under the circumstances. So that's, uh, that's a big one. Um, I love my students at San Diego State, undergrad and grad. We're about to bring on a, our next master's cohort next month, 50 plus students. The biggest cohort we've had so far is the current one, which is 24. So we've had, uh, we're like the dog that caught the, caught the car. You know, we've been trying to recruit really hard to get 50 students. Now we got them. I'm going, oh my God. I was just, you know, so I'm scrambling. Um, so, That's but it's, it's exciting. It's a, it's a good problem. Hey, Jeff, how did you get, how did you deal with, um, you know, COVID? How did your students deal with it? Uh, you know, I've, I've teach every now and then over at state uh, here and there at the uh, Lab and Entrepreneur Center. And so I'm just curious how, how your students have been dealing with it. Uh, as well as can be expected is, is yeah. what I'd say. You know, we went to virtual in, in one week in March. It was easy for a bunch of us because we were already, our master's courses online. So that was just switching the mode, you know. But we had to do graduation that way. And we did a 10-year reunion that way. Uh, and students were great. And we had great turnout. Uh, but, you know, you feel bad because they're, they're getting cheated. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they should have not had to miss that that great experience. That's right. So we, you know, do the best you can. Yeah, well, bravo. That was Chris. One quick military joke story. Send. So I'm I'm getting inducted into the army and in, in Fort Hamilton, Brooklyn, and they're giving out all these tests and questionnaires for guys to fill out. And a guy raises his hand. Yeah, what's your problem? Don't speak English. You do the best you can. <laughs> there was military logic. <laughs> that was my introduction to military logic. <laughs> yeah, do the best you can. Uh, what year? Yeah, what that? you gonna do? And there it that is. That was 1967. The other one that came up the same day was guy started reading off all these diseases. You had to check whether you ever had them or not. And in the middle of it, he goes, "Hey, if you don't know what it is, you didn't have it." <laughs> 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 I've heard that one a couple of times. That's sound logic. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, Jeff, what's uh, what's something we didn't ask you that you wish we would have? Oh, good, it's a good, good one. Good this question. goes into, into probably the opening story in my book. I was mm. uh, A student asked me at Cal State San Marcos about eight or nine years ago at the end of a Q&A session, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your 40 plus years in business? And I, I hadn't had to answer that question before. So I thought about it for a second. And I said, the biggest lesson I've learned is how easy it is to be wrong. And that goes back to everything we've talked about. You know, you're not in an organization. So you're the only operating brain in it, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're smart, you surround yourself with the best people you can. And you create a culture where everybody's all in all the time. And, and great things happen. That's a microphone drop right there, Chris. Right. I, I don't know how to follow that up. That's good stuff. <laughs> I'm writing it down. Yeah. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been Great wonderful. You guys. We nice hope to have to you really again on. <laughs> yeah, you too. And we'll have you back on season two. Great. Nimawashi. That's what I learned today. Nimawashi. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, that was a great show. Uh, Jeff has so many stories, so much good stuff. I loved it. Uh, you know, when he talked about working together as a team and pulling people together and getting their input, that, uh, you know, that's a great takeaway for all of us. Sometimes we think we're on this island as a leader. Uh, everyone's looking to us for the answers. And I think the reality is everyone's looking for you to help facilitate the answers. They're not necessarily looking for you to have all the answers. And so that was my big takeaway from him. And, and Nima Washi, I'm going to love that and use that every day. And uh, I wish I had learned that earlier in my career, that's for sure. Well, we had a great show. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, we'd like to thank uh, Jeff Campbell for coming on and talking to us. We, I want to thank Kyle. Uh, please check out his nonprofit, One More Wave. Thank San Diego Christian College. And if you want more from us, uh, check us out at cultureforce.team. Uh, like us on LinkedIn, follow us on Instagram. And uh, we hope you have a fantastic rest of the day, week or month, wherever you're at, whenever you're listening. Um, and however long it's been since you heard from us last, uh, stay in touch. Head over to iTunes and give us a five-star or a one-star. Uh, we don't care. We just prefer that you leave an honest review and uh, tell us how we've been helping you and what your, your favorite part of the show has been so far and what you've learned. Mm -hmm.
Have a great week. Trying to, trying to find my way home